So turn with me to Haggai. Um, I heard one speaker say Haggai, but I don't know what that, I just, I'll just say Haggai. Um, we are actually in our third part series, uh, and we're going to start in verse, chapter 2, verses 10 through 19. Um, oh, so it's a four-part series. This is the third message, and I'm going to read it up on the screen. Um, I just want to remind you real quickly that Haggai is speaking to the Judean exiles from Babylon who were a remnant that God had taken. Remember, they were taken captive. God had taken the remnant, put them back in Israel, and said, build me, build, build again the temple. Remember King Cyrus, a pagan king, gave him all the provisions he need, they needed to be able to build this place of worship to the Lord of hosts, the Lord of heaven. And so here we are into his third message. Um, Pastor Chad did an awesome job the first two weeks, so if you want a little bit more context, please, everything's available on Facebook and podcast. So look it up. All right. I put this in the New Living Translation. This is just a little disclaimer, because it's just much easier to understand in it, but don't worry, I didn't do any like deep word studies from the New Living Translation. <laughs> That's for you Bible scholars. Okay, so verse 10. On December 18th of the second year of King Darius's reign, the Lord sent this message to the prophet Haggai. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Ask the priests this question about the law. If one of you is carrying some meat from a holy sacrifice in his robes, and his robe happens to brush against some bread or stew, wine or olive oil, or any other kind of food, will it also become holy? The priest, the priest replied, no. If someone becomes ceremonially unclean by touching a dead person and then touches any of these food, foods, will that food be defiled? And the priest answered, yes. Okay, so sometimes when you start talking about Leviticus or the priestly, like you could see people, you know, if I'm in a small group, I'll see, see people, they, they kind of go, I think sometimes we have in our head, like, I don't know how to relate to that. I have no idea what they're talking about. It's like we zone out. So I just kind of want to put this in, in our terms, in modern terms. I think it would be really easy for us to understand. Um, I used to work at the skate park. Raise your hand if you remember that the YMCA used to have a skate park. Anybody? Yeah. So um, I, don't, I don't think it's there anymore. I don't know. But it, what happened is it used to be for $5, you can check your kid in and they could skate all day long. Well, I was there all day long in my little shed, actually just reading my Bible all day long. <laughs> and um, these kids would get dropped off in the morning, their parents would bring them lunch, and then they'd get picked up when the, the parents got off their work, right? Cheap care. It's five bucks. So, you know, but like any other kids, what happens? You lose interest in skating. You can't skate that long. So there used to be, I think there was some construction happening, but over off the side, there used to be these big piles of dirt and like wood chips. I don't know what they were for. But the kids, these two in particular, I was with them every day. One was Nick, one was Jaime. He, they would get distracted from skating, and then they'd go into the dirt piles, and they'd play in the dirt piles. <laughs> and so, let me... Uh, one day, Nick's parents had brought him some chicken... What are chicken figures? Chicken nuggets? <laughs> and, um, you know, they ate their food without washing their hands. And Nick waved his hand by my nose. <laughs> I like saw the mental picture of dirt crusted on his hand and ketchup crusted like on his fingers. And he waved his 
ketchup dirt-crusted finger by my nose, and since then I've never been able to eat ketchup again. It's, it's horrible. <laughs> and so, you know, it was traumatizing for me. But I just want to ask you guys a question. If Nick and Jaime, in their clean clothes, ran over to the piles of dirt, when they touched the piles of dirt, did their clean clothes make those piles of dirt clean? No. no. <laughs> okay, that's like the first priestly garment food in your garment. You touch it, it's, it's not, it's the file. Okay, the second question I want to ask, with their filthy, dirty hands <laughs> eating their clean food, when their filthy, dirty hands touched their clean food, did the clean food become dirty? Yes. Yes. You guys tracking with me? <laughs> All right. Verse 14. This is a little heavy. Then Haggai responded, That is how it is with this people and this nation, says the Lord. Everything they do and everything they offer is defiled by their sin. I'm going to read it one more time. This is heavy. Verse 14. Then Haggai responded, That is how it is with this people and this nation, says the Lord. Everything they do and everything they offer is defiled by their sin. Okay, what is, what is the Lord talking about here? So remember, he specifically chose this remnant of people to go back and do the work. Guess what? We know from the previous chapters in Haggai and the book of Esther, they're doing the work. These people are called by God's name. They're, they are set apart as Yahweh's people. To the rest of the nations, they were supposed to demonstrate what it looked like to love Yahweh and show the people that this is the true God. This is how we worship him. The people were supposed to look upon the wisdom of how the Israelites and say, wow, that's, that's God right there. We want to worship who you're worshiping. So again, who is he talking to? He's talking to people that, they know, that, that know him, that love him. Okay, But what's happening here? One is, you know, sin is corruptive. And that's what it's demonstrating in the priestly garments. It's sin. You know, we think of 1 Corinthians 15, 33. It says that good company corrupts bad character. You know, it's easier. Like if I have my healthy kid and put them with sick kids, they're not going to make the sick kids healthy. (laughs) You know, if they've got chicken pox, most likely if mine haven't been vaccinated and I accidentally waited forever to get them vaccinated. In fact, they almost didn't even get into kindergarten. (laughs) But... um, they would catch the chicken pox, right? So it's along the same lines. He's like, you, you guys, it's your heart. Your heart's not in the right place. You're doing the actions, but you're going through the motions. I don't have your heart. You know, he wants, he wants our, our love and our affection. And he's like, you know, if you compromise in this little bit of area, you're doing the stuff. Yeah, you, you look super spiritual on the outside. You're doing the stuff. But if you allow some sort of compromise in your heart, it's all defiled, You know, Jesus also said, do you remember when he looked at the Pharisees and said, beware of the leaven? A little leaven leavens the whole lump. What was the leaven of the Pharisees? You know, it was, they were filled with a whole bunch of religious jargon. They knew all the things to observe. They had it down to a T, but yet they were dead on the inside. Can you click that next screen for me, Chad? Okay, so right actions plus wrong hearts equal hypocrisy. Um, And I'm going to take this straight from Jesus. He said, 
Remember, do you remember when he looked at the Pharisees? He's like, you brood of vipers, you hypocrites, who warned you to flee. I forgot that little one. <laughs> who warned you to flee from the coming wrath. I believe it is. What he, he said, he said, hey, you're like whitewashed tombs. You're all beautiful on the outside, but you're dead on the inside. You're full of dead man's bones and all kinds of unclean things. And what he was telling them was actually a loving rebuke to wake them up and to recognize who was before them, who was standing. You know, all, all the prophets, everyone. I mean, you can't tell me, you can't read the Bible and tell me that the God of the Old Testament looks different than the God of the New Testament. His heart is always to restore always. It's like, hey guys, I'm going to come. I'm going to give you these promises. I'm going to give you this covenant. You fulfill your end. If you don't fulfill your end, it was conditional, right? But then it's almost like he's like, a, like he can't wait to give us the Christmas present because right after he, he would explain like, hey, you got to fulfill your end of the bargain, but wait, you're not gonna. I'm going to send Jesus. He's going to fulfill it. You know, he does it all the time. His heart was always to have the better covenant, which we wouldn't get till Jesus. When Jesus was standing before the Pharisees, who thought that they knew everything, didn't even recognize him. They couldn't acknowledge that he was everything that the Old Testament prophets had prophesied and pointed to. Um, you know, as I say Old Testament, you go, well, how does this apply? Like, where, where, where can I draw the lines to today when I have the right actions and the wrong heart? And we'll go to Matthew 5, 23 and 24. This is kind of heavy. It says, so if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. This is the right action. The right action is going into God's presence. But, you know, the interesting thing is when we get there, sometimes he speaks to us, like a little nudge, like, oh, you remember your brother that you wronged? You need to go make that right. God's showing us his priorities, his people, his love. He says, you love me, you're going to go love your brothers. You know, these people were going through the motions. God doesn't want robots. He wants our hearts. These next few verses in Haggai's message give us a clue into that the fact that the people were supposed to look around them and acknowledge the fact of what was happening. They were supposed to understand that the circumstances they were facing was going to draw their attention to what God was trying to do. So read these next few verses with me. Verse 15. Look at what is happening to you before you began to lay the foundation of the Lord's temple. When you hoped for a 20-bushel crop... You harvested only 10. When you expected to draw 50 gallons from the wine press, you found only 20. Okay, what is happening? He's saying, recognize, look, recognize. You went to, to harvest 40, you got 20. You went to harvest 50, you got 20, right? Or 10, I messed up the word, <laughs> the numbers. Are. But basically, they're not reaping all that they sowed into. Actually, this next verse, look at this. Who sent, who sent this? As I read this next verse, I, this is the Lord speaking, I sent blight and mildew and hail to destroy everything you worked so hard to produce. Even so, you refuse to return to me, says the Lord. 
They were supposed to look at what was happening and say, something's not right. Something, they, our circumstances, you know, Mike Bickle always says, God's not as concerned with our circumstances as much as he is with our hearts. <sighs> it, it is by his mercy that he allows us to face certain hardships to draw us to the correct place before him. It's a gift and it's also an invitation. When, 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 we, when we don't understand the storms we're facing, we are invited to go and find him, okay? Sometimes we settle. Sometimes, this is believers, you know, it's kind of, it's called modern, modern atheism. Bill Johnson talks about it a lot. He's like, look, if you call yourself a believer, but then you go and read all you know, the how-tos, and which there's, there's don't get me wrong, there's, I read a lot of how-tos, <laughs> but if you go and then you go and depend on that, you talk to all the professionals, you know, the, what's, what's different from that in the world? That's where they go, and please don't hear me wrong, obviously God's given us, you know, really talented counselors and people with wisdom that can speak into us, but don't just settle for that, <laughs> What we get to do is say, what are you doing? And we get to go find him in the secret place. We get to go wrestle with him. We get to say, what is your word for me? You know, recently I was convicted. Um, I think I was telling Janet this and Shana. I don't know. Shana's not here. Janet's here. (laughs) I was telling Janet this. um, I just have a personality, I think, where I'm just like, oh, hum. Like, just... You know, well, just go, go ahead. And what's easy, what I mean by that is it's easy for me to kind of compartmentalize things. So if something's bugging me, um, I could just kind of take it in a box and just put it away in the closet. And um, that's not dealing with it. <laughs> that's not true peace. Okay, and uh, what happens is, is eventually those closets get overfilled with boxes of shoved stuff. <laughs> and it's going to come out. And it might not come out verbally, or it might, you know, sometimes I just, I wonder, you know, anyway. <laughs> it, it'll, sometimes it manifests in our body physically. Sometimes people get sick, because you just can only hold so much yuck, you know? And I think that on accident, I really have never done it on purpose, like, oh, I'm going to compartmentalize that. On accident, I get into a habit of trying to sort things on my own. And then I'm like, no, I need real peace. I need to go find what you're saying, Lord. And then there's this beauty. It's hard. There's nights where I've spent tossing and turning and just like, ah, you know, whatever it was, whether it was an attitude or a circumstance or a relationship or something, where I'm just sitting there tossing and turning and praying and going back and forth and then going back and forth between giving my thoughts captive because I recognize that I'm not thinking along the lines of his truth and what he says. And, and in that wrestle, there's this beauty because what happens is, is when you go and seek God and you actually find him, he gives you what you need to do to get through that. He gives you a promise to stand on, a word to keep you going. It's like, you know, and that's, it'll always line up with what he says in his word. And, um, you know, it's one of those things, it's like when it comes up against, because something will, it's like you conquer something, and then, you know, an hour later, you're like, oh, I'm back at it again. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's just, you can't, you can't cave under the weight of that kind of wrestle without having what he has directly. He, he's got an anecdote for what we're, we're facing. And so, 
it's one of those things that's when he gives it to you, when all of a sudden those thoughts start to arise or the wrestle comes up, you can declare what he says for your breakthrough. Because he said it and it's his living word. You know, I'm going to ask you, obviously, let me just emphasize, obviously, not all poor circumstances surrounding us means that we're in the wrong. But many times it does. And in the invitation of seeking him, um, how do you respond? How do you respond when you feel like you're trying to do what God asked you to do, but things just don't seem to be going all that well? Let me give you an example of two poor choices you can make <laughs> when you're like, I'm just trying to do what God told me to, but uh, it's not working. <laughs> One is you can practice conditional obedience. This would be a poor response. Let me emphasize again, poor choice. <laughs> Why? Conditional obedience says, well, I'll do this, God, I'll obey you, but you got to do what you said you're going to do, and it needs to look like when I want it to happen and how I want it to happen. <sighs> you know, um, it's kind of like, it, it, this is going to be so obvious, so bear with me, but sometimes we don't draw the connection, so just bear with me as this is blatantly obvious. Sometimes we just don't allow the full process of time for something to have its work. And so it's almost like you plant a garden, and then the next day, you know, you plant seeds. The next day you walk out there and you're like, there's no plants. I'm not going to do this anymore. This is terrible. And you walk away. Obviously, that's foolish, right? Well, I get so many people like, I prayed, I prayed, and I'm not seeing any change. I'm not seeing. There's something that's happening in you. There's something that God is working in your spirit that he's cultivating in the garden of your heart for him to be able to bear fruit, for him to do what he has to do. Our job is to wait and to yield. We just got to wait and yield to what he's saying and what he's doing. You know, the second example of a poor response is selective listening. It's hearing, hearing only what you want to hear, obviously. You know, um, I'll be talking to Haley on the phone, <laughs> up in my bedroom, on the couch, door shut, like kids are off doing their own thing all around the house, and I'll just kind of, sort of mention, yeah, so, you know, what are you doing for the day? I don't know, what are you doing for the day? And uh, I might take the kids to ice cream, like, my kids hear that from every depth and corner of the house. <laughs> and they go, oh, and then they take it like a blood oath. Mom, you said, you said we're going to get ice cream. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, you know, I'm, so, I'm at the point now where these kids, I did not say it. I said, maybe. You know, it's just, anyway, they take it to, but all of a sudden, they're looking at me from this distance, hey, you need to get your chores done, go this, this, and this, 20 minutes later, nothing's moved, hey, Joel, Joel, you were supposed to unload the dishwasher, oh, what, I didn't hear you, <laughs> you know, we know selective listening, we hear it all the time, all right, and, um, you know, 
I hear it all the time. One of the, one of the verses, this is just an example. I've said this before, I just, but I can't ever get over it because I see it all the time. This is Romans 28. This is an example of where we selectively pick what we want to hear God saying versus what we, what, you know, like, oh, let's hear the good stuff, but let's not follow through with the hard part, right? Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those that love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Okay, so where's, where's the selective part? You know how many people I hear say, well, God's just going to work everything out for me, but yet they're not living lifestyles that show that they love God. How does, how does Jesus define loving him? It's obeying his commandments. What else does, God loving look, does loving God look like? 1 John 4.20 this one stings. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. You remember a little bit earlier I referred to, hey, if you get into God's presence, that verse, go make it right with your brother, then give your gift. God's showing us his priorities. Remember the first and foremost, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Here's what Jesus had to say about selective listening. This is Mark 4, 23 through 25. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Let me stop right there. You guys realize we are completely responsible for what we hear. (laughs) With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. You know, we can't take some of the truths of the Bible, keep the things we like and throw out the things we don't like, obviously. It's not this salad bar of like, oh, leave the mushrooms, keep, you know, take, take the tomatoes. It's, it's we have to, when, when we are in his presence and all of a sudden we go, I haven't been thinking right. My heart hasn't been in the right place. When we feel that nudging, it's an invitation for him to come and do what he does best is to be faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins and cleanse us. You guys remember that verse in 1 John? It's just a couple chapters before he says, hey, if you say you love me, but you hate a brother, you're a liar. Let me go back to um, Matthew 5, 23 and 24. And it says, if you are offering your gift, one more time, at the altar there, and remember. Okay, do you see those three little words? And their words, but I say verb words, I don't know. And their remember. This part really rocked me because um, it's like, let me just back up a little bit. And when I was reading Leviticus this last time around, you know what the thing that jumped out to me more than anything was, hey, when you realize your sin, when you realize your sin, when you realize your sin, I'm, guys, I don't think we have any idea what we're carrying or what we're wrestling with, you know? Francis Frangipani says, we think God's doing three things. He's actually doing 10,000 things. <laughs> and it's, you know, you hear people say, as I get older, I realize how much I don't know. 
You know, when you're in your, when you're in your like early 20s, you're like, I'm awesome. <laughs> Things are awesome. And then you walk through life's, you know, punches a little bit more. And it's funny, you get closer to the Lord. And the closer you get to the Lord, you're like, I have so far to go. <laughs> He's just this vast ocean of goodness. If I ever thought I knew anything before, I didn't know anything. <laughs> you know, and to increase in that as you get into your 40s, your 50s, your 60s, who knows? It's just, you know, when Jesus, do you remember when they brought the woman that was caught in adultery before him? And they, um, they were like, tell us what to do. They always try to trap him. I love his response. God was never trapped. <laughs> he always had the best responses. And they, they um, said, tell us what to do with her. And he just, you know, bent down and he just drew in the sand. We don't know what he drew in the sand. But the interesting thing is right after it, it says, and as the older to the younger started leaving. It started with the older people. The older people left first, and then the younger. And I wonder if that's because they're just a little bit more in touch with their brokenness, you know? So I just want to say, just like I emphasized in the beginning, if you feel God's um, yielding, if he's speaking to you, respond. That's one of the first steps. That's the invitation. It's an invitation. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. It hurts. But remember, we're called to not despise the Lord's discipline. Remember, he disciplines the ones he loves. I want to be loved, even if it's painful. And I am loved. I just get to yield. I just get to say yes. Let's turn to the rest of the verses. It's um, Haggai 2.18. Think about this 18th day of December, the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Think carefully. I'm giving you a promise. Now, while the seed is still in the barn, you have not yet harvested your grain, and your grapevines, fig trees, pomegranates, and olive trees have not yet produced their crops. But from this day onward, I will bless you. This is because this is you go, okay, wait. Wait, you just drew attention to the fact that all my deeds are filthy, like my works, because you don't have my heart. And then you showed me that you allowed circumstances in my life to try to wake me up, but they didn't. They didn't draw that connection. It took the prophet Haggai to show them, right? Hey, you guys were supposed to recognize your circumstances were messed up and funky because I was trying to get your attention. And then he goes here and says he's going to bless them. Are we missing something? So it's one of those things, this is where I'm saying, you can't, don't tell me the Lord of the Old Testament is different than the New Testament. This is our God. He's like, okay, okay, you didn't draw those connections, but look at here, mark this day. I'm telling you through my prophet Haggai, mark this day on your calendar. I'm going to come bless you. You know what he's saying? He's like, hey, your pomegranates, your olive trees, they haven't produced yet. The seed is still in the barn. Guys, there's work to be done still, but I'm going to bless you. You know what his heart was? It's so that when they started seeing the blessings come, they were going to recognize where they came from. And it's, what is it? It's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. <laughs> it's almost like, I, he sets, it's just this giant love letter. He sets up the position to show, you can't, you can't, but there's one who can. <laughs> there's one that came to fulfill. There's one that came to bring the filling. And, um, you know, in saying all of this, this is my favorite. This is Luke 5, 
12. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. (sighs) Okay, first let's just put ourselves in the shoes of a leprosy of their day, okay? Remember back to the first few verses in Haggai, it says, you know, clean, unclean. So the priests would walk around with their robes, like really tight to themselves, because if they had touched something unclean, it meant that they couldn't enter in the presence, right? Or come to the altar. There was different tasks for different things. (laughs) Anyway, um, what happens is, is the leper would have to cover his face and walk throughout the town and shout, unclean, unclean, unclean. Okay, leprosy is a disease. It wasn't a choice or an action. You know, I always wonder, I'm like, how many times would they see the white spot on their arm and then wear a jacket for as long as they could? Once they realized they had leprosy, they had to be cast out. They had to live outside of the camp, outside of the city. They were the outcasts. That means you left your family left your job, you left, you left everything to go live on the outskirts and declare about yourself for the rest of your life, unclean, unclean, unclean. That sounds horrible. Not a way anybody would want to go out. And look at this guy's faith. While he was in the cities, a man full of leprosy, he was covered with this flesh-eating disease. When he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, if you will, you'll make me clean. Look at what Jesus does. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. So here we are talking about clean, unclean. There was one who was perfect in through and through that can set us free and cleanse us from everything. Everything impure, he could cover us. That was Jesus. This was his heart. It's like the man was so utterly desperate for a touch from God to change his circumstances that he ran and fell at his feet, risking humiliation, risking all the people that would look, hey, hey, don't, you're unclean, don't touch him. You know what I mean? You're, you're, you're outcasted. Who do you think you are? And Jesus, without hesitation, I will be clean. Because he carried cleanness. He's the one man on the whole entire planet in the universe that can be clean and his holiness, his cleanliness is contagious. (laughs) You know, and it's like the woman, the woman with the issue of blood for 12 years. 12 years. Guys, it's the same thing. Just, I'm going to be straightforward for you. If you were on your menstrual cycle, you had to be outside of the camp. If you were bleeding, you were outside too. You were unclean. You couldn't approach him. And um, this woman didn't stop bleeding. She was hemorrhaging for 12 years. Said she spent everything she had. Nobody could help her. So, you know, she didn't, like the leprous person, didn't have to shout unclean. Not that I'm aware of. But she was so desperate. So desperate. For, and she knew what Jesus had to offer. That she ran up. It says in Matthew that she thought in her head, if I just touch the hem of his garment... Guys, you remember, the priests walked around with their garments tight to them so they wouldn't be unclean. If I just touch the hem of his garment, do you realize she was risking everything to go touch him? And above all else, she was risking humiliation. You know what I mean? And when she touched him, when she fell at the hem of his garment, Jesus felt the power leave him. 
And he's like, who touched me? And the disciples, they're like, how could you ask that? Like, there's crowds of people. Everybody's touching you. He's, you know, Jesus, who touched me? And it said the woman came, ran, fell at his feet, and said, I did. I, you know, I, I was, I can't remember her exact response, but it's something along the lines of that she was desperate for a touch for him. And he says, be well, daughter. Your faith has made you well. Jesus had everything to offer, all the, cleanse, all the cleansing, all the purity, all the holiness. He had the answer for the woman hemorrhaging. He had the answers for the men, the people with leprosy. He brought everything that they needed him to bring because he was the answer and the promise and the fulfillment. It was never God's heart. It was never in his heart to separate because, so, okay, so I heard the Bible Project. They, they gave the best analogy. They were like, um, so God is holy. He's like, he's like, picture him like the sun, okay? Obviously, we'd get burned up if we try to enter the presence of the sun, right? So God's holiness, in the same manner, he's, he's so holy, they had to be clean before they could come before him. It didn't mean they were bad. They just were unclean, couldn't approach him. And they'd have to bathe themselves and do certain things, and, you know, unless they had leprosy or hemorrhaging. And... Um, his heart was always to make a way. That's the beauty of it. He's like, look, it's never going to get as good until Jesus, my promised one, I send, comes. And then he's going to fulfill all the clean duties that were so hard to keep, kept you distracted. And then he's going to come live on the inside of you. And when you feel those nudgings to repent or to think different or to go find him, that's an opportunity for you to be more like him. You know, um, I'm actually done. I nailed it in time. <laughs> but um, I, this is such an important moment because um, some of you feel a little bit of nudging. Maybe there's some of you here today that uh, you go, you know, my heart's not right. It could be an attitude. It could be thoughts. It could be actions that you're doing. Listen, it is a gift from God if you feel that right now. Repentance is a gift. So um, would you guys please stand with me? Andrew, you want to come up here? I just want to invite ministry team up um, to come pray. Thank you. If you feel any kind of nudging or anything today, come confess. Come, make it right. Like I said, this is a safe place for you to acknowledge where you want to be at. This is a safe place to respond to him. So um, I'm going to pray. And just as you feel led, if you want to come get prayer, please do. Don't leave here. Don't leave here until you respond. So Father, um, your word says, create in me a clean heart, oh God. Pure hands, pure, pure hearts and clean hands, God. Father, I pray that the, the places in our hearts and in our mind that you're, you're yielding us to, to listen and obey because it's for our goodness. It's, God, everything you do is out of love and purity. Everything. When, it, when, you, when you discipline us, it's to draw us back to you, Father. And so, God, I pray anyone here right now feeling your Holy Spirit nudging, I pray that you would come and do your work in them, Father. I pray that that yielding, that soft heart that you promised to give us, 
God would do its thing. Yeah, I, I feel too is that it's it's really not about what other people are, are if they're looking and stuff like that, but it's really about the step of faith saying, I want to be like the woman who had that blood disorder for 12 years. I don't care about what people, if they're going to say something or do something, but I want to step forth and touch his garment today. There is an impurity in me today that if I just touched him today, I know that he's pure. And then he actually, if we touch him today, he can make us pure. If that's you today that wants that breakthrough today, I ask you to come forward. No, don't worry about anybody else. It's, it's, it's really, we're not going to call you out in front of people. It's not about that. It's about you and him today. It really is. It's about you touching that garment today. And, uh, you know, this revelation happened when we were at the conference, too, is that breakthrough actually is like, it's not us breaking through a wall, but it actually, it's like, it's like a dam, okay? And the water's trying to get through, but the dam, dam is there, but then it actually breaks through. And, and it actually is water that provides um, a place where fruit can grow. And Lord, we want that in our lives. We want a place... We want to have fruit grow in our lives. And we don't want any impurity or wickedness or anything like that to, to rob that fruit from us. So today we ask for justice today. Whatever's wrong, you make it right. We want to reach forth and touch that garment today because you're so beautiful. You're so holy. You're so pure and so wonderful. I ask that we capture that revelation. We capture that love today, God. And I also, I, I believe that the Lord is actually wanting to give you a pure and spotless garment today and say, here, here, I want to give you this today. I, I'm not looking at all the dirt and all that, but just come, come to me today. Come to me. Come to him today. Today is your day. If you feel pressing on your heart, today's your day. Gracious that seeks 
nothing but the blood, oh, oh, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Amen. Receive this blessing and benediction, and we'll linger for a minute if you want people to pray with you some more, but just hands out to receive this blessing. He is faithful and just and will and has today forgiven us of our sins and purified us from all of our unrighteousness. Now may you go and walk in this purity, staying in the light as He is in the light. And should you stumble or dabble in the darkness, don't look down, look up. And the one who rescued you now is the one who will rescue you then. But may you and I learn to live moment by moment, abiding, relying, looking to Jesus, who is the one who perpetually says, like he did to the leper, I am willing. (laughs) Come on, say it. God, you are willing. And Lord, it's our desire to walk with you now in light of this truth. May we be agents of cleanliness and purity to those who are bound in their darkness and sin. May they be lifted to the Savior like we have been today. In Jesus' name we go. Amen and amen. Bless you guys. We'll just linger for a minute. We'll see you later.